This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. know me from Wild Bear Entertainment and patchwork commissioning um, is the term we've used to describe what happens when you cobble together funding to to finance a project from a wide variety of sources from all over the world. So I hope um, people didn't bring their sewing machines because it's not uh, the craft uh, but it's about the craft of putting together these multi-deals. we, you know, today through chatting to our amazing panellists and we're going to do some test cases and see some clips and hear some real stories. Um, we're going to explore what the benefits are, what some of the pitfalls are and ultimately ask, is it worth it? Firstly, I wanted to show you a clip and um, then there's a quiz after the clip. So can we roll that first clip, please, Jay? So that was, I was going to put a question to the audience. How many funding partners made that show happen? Any guesses? Well, oh, you know, you're not allowed to. <laughs> huh? No? Who said, I hear another number? Ten, keep going. It, it's actually, it, there was 11 funding partners in that film. And um, every, while everyone was having all the fun making it, I think I spent my life in contracts and paperwork. So I just wanted to show you uh, some, of, you know, how many people it can take to make a film. But that, how many people came to that table, including Melbourne International Film Premiere Fund, the, the type of parties that come together, you can make something happen that was otherwise impossible. Um, patchwork commissioning so is critical to me and to Wild Bear Entertainment. We've got about 130 hours of shows commissioned this year alone, so we're really busy and we rely heavily on that international marketplace to make our business work. But, you know, but eight years ago, as an early practitioner, going to MIP, it, I think it took five years going to MIP before I even got my first international commission, but when I did, it just opened the doors to so many opportunities, amazing partnerships and then amazing films. So that's why I wanted to do this topic today. I was sort of passionate about the topic and it was over a, uh, a dinner at MIP that uh, Senahar and we sort of talked about this patchwork that you just cobble together what you can to make a show happen. So that, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I know it's not a new phenomenon and uh, I know it's been around for years, um, but it's becoming more and more prevalent, I think. Um, you know, IDFA and Hot Docs have had their forums. Um, Screen Australia's co-production treaties have been in place. Um, but like I said, it seems to be growing and becoming more and more relevant to Australian producers in a volatile, sort of ever-changing marketplace. Um, and if you've been uh, just in the news, I noticed ABC's um, managing director, Mark Scott, you know, he said only a couple of weeks ago in his address to the National Press Club that more and more, or that we might expect more and more pressure to, from commercial TV networks to lessen their Australian content requirements. So it means, you know, Australian producers are already in a bit of trouble there and a continued erosion of the percentage of Australian content on our screens as massive global libraries are unlocked through YouTube, Netflix and other SVOD 
providers. So it, it, you know, the, the, the world's changing regardless. So like I said, patchwork financing is becoming more and more relevant and prevalent in this fast changing landscape of globalization and convergence. And it's become important, if not critical, way for producers to secure financing by cobbling together these multiple markets and platforms. So, but although exciting and opportunity um, ridden, and often and sometimes I'll say, well, often life-saving, uh, speaking for myself, um, it's not always easy. And in order to uh, successfully finance these deals, um, it's important to understand the nuances of the international marketplace and manage the expectations. Um, it's a global business. So this session, we're going to, you know, with the test cases and our amazing panel, who I'll introduce soon, I'm sorry I'm talking so much, the issues around managing stakeholder expectations, the pressure of keeping everyone happy, oh my God, um, issues around delivering one versus multiple um, versions, issues around different languages, tones, styles, cultural and historic expectations um, that we'll sort of talk about the highs and the lows, the pros and the cons of patchwork commissioning. Um, hold questions till the end, we'll have lots of time for questions. Um, and today to talk about this, we've got both sides of the coin. We've got some amazing commissioning editors and an Australian producer who is, uh, am I allowed to say the queen of international no. co-productions <laughs> and plenty to learn from, from, from our panel. So firstly, um, um, Senaha Tubolu, Tubolu. <laughs> um, is the Head of Content and Acquisitions for Factual, MTG World. And with over 15 years experience in the media industry, Senaha joined MTG World in 2008 and is responsible for the acquisitions and programming for MTG, MTG World's factual portfolio, and um, which is over 1,000 uh, 1, hours of acquisitions and pre-buys a year. So um, thank you, Senaha. Ewan Angus. Uh, commissioning editor of BBC Scotland. Ewan uh, has worked in broadcasting for more than 25 years and has works across a wide range of programs for BBC Scotland and BBC's UK network. And he's responsible for the television output produced for Scottish audiences. And uh, as I think everyone here knows, Ewan, he's been involved with numerous co-productions with international broadcasters. And Julia Redwood, managing director of Prospero Productions. With over 25 years of experience in the business, Julia has become one of the leading practitioners in the country, absolutely, and still loves it, which is fantastic. Still loves what she does. So she's Joint Managing Director of Prospero Productions based in Perth. And did I say where Ewan was from? BBC Scotland. Sorry if I didn't. So before we start going to the test cases, I just wanted to hear from just each of you individually, just some of your thoughts on the general topic. Um, Senaha, you know, you've, done a, you've got a wide range of international projects on your platform because Viasat, um, despite only recently being owned um, by Swedish um, company MTG, it's a huge global conglomerate. Um, what are your thoughts on patchwork commissioning? Has your success been potentially because of patchwork commissioning? Definitely. Um, I think we've worked for over two years to try and communicate and um, make producers uh, understand that actually although it seems a bit more laborious to speak to more people to fund the project at the end it's definitely worth it because they get to retain more rights um, 
and to make them understand that actually in the greater scheme of things as partners we were probably the least fussy, more flexible in terms of editorial input. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I definitely think for us it's been really, really fundamental in securing some of our highlights um, over the past year and a half. So we'll probably unpack that a little bit later, but it means yep. you can sort of snuggle in and uh, get your hold on something before it hits the marketplace. You don't have to compete. It's like a down payment or exactly, something. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay, oh, well, we'll look forward to when we see your clips, we can unpack that a little bit further. You and um, the BBC, you know, it, I don't know if it still does, but used to do the 100% commissioning, but you're, you're in a unique position because as the commissioning editor for BBC Scotland, you, um, you need to have particular content for your, your audiences and your viewers that are relevant to the culture, and you've relied on this, the co-productions have been an important part of your commissioning practice. Can you tell us a little bit more of that in general, and we'll dig down deeper later? Yeah, um, well, it, it, it's the way the business is going. I mean, being a bit of a megalomaniac, um, <laughs> I, I would quite like it if it was still 100% um, funding and, and me or somebody else got to call all the shots on a, on a project. Um, I, I, think, I think the thing about it is I, I first got involved in an international co-production about 25 years ago with a series called Golf and All Its Glory. And if, <laughs> if, if there was one thing about that series, it was not glorious. Um, uh, and I think it taught me a lesson very early on that you've got to pick your projects very carefully if you want to, um, if, you know, if you want to get into bed with different partners. Um, I think it's generally true in this industry that it's quite difficult keeping a single commissioner happy, never mind um, multiple commissioners. Um, some of whom, not me, but some of whom can be very inconsistent, very difficult. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and what's more, um, during the lifespan of some of these co-commissions, co-productions, quite often uh, people leave, new people come in, uh, expectations change, a story sometimes goes off in a different direction from the one that you initially thought it was going mm. to. All of that adds in um, kind of pressure. Um, so, for, for me, the question is always um, how many sets of editorial eyes are going to be on a project. I actually don't mind how many people are chipping money in. Um, what's important is how, how many of those people who are sources of funding are actually going to take, um, are, are actually going to concern themselves in any way closely with the, with the development of the editorial. Wow, okay, that's, it, that's a, a big point to take on board because if you, and we'll explore that later, how do you keep everyone happy when there's conflicting notes on a show, especially at a fine cut or a rough cut stage where you're pushing home for delivery? Julia, at the, um, recently at the Brilliant Careers Symposium, I think it was even so recent as last week in Sydney, Jennifer Collins from Screen Time stated that thinking globally now is now important for sustainable businesses. And in your, like I said before, you're the absolute champion of patchwork commissioning. Is this statement true for you as an Australian independent producer? And is it even, you've got that track record, but is it even more important to you now? Um, no, I don't think it's true because it's always been the case. Ah, lovely. It's yeah. not now, it's, yeah. it's, it's always been the case. And um, I wish that we had had 100% commissions um, in Australia. Um, we've never had them, not used to them. So I think Australia's in a very unique position. Australian producers are in a unique position because we're not used to 100% commissions. So we have to get out there. We have to um, uh, go to the marketplace, 
and put deals together. It's always been it's our, in our DNA, actually. Wow, that's really interesting. Oh, wow, I want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> How many partners uh, were involved in producing that for you? Four. Oh, wow. Um, and I think um, when we started this off, um, I didn't want to pick any of the clips for your shows just because I didn't want to be uh, accused of favoritism. Um, but um, this producer definitely got what we were trying to say yep. to them. Um, and um, often we do the legwork and we speak to the other non-competing broadcasters that oh, we wow. work quite closely with. Yep. Um, in this case, it was UK TV and SBS. Oh, wow. And it's easy for us now because we've got that relationship with them and our remits are pretty close okay. so um, this was a pretty seamless project to make happen okay. um, so like you mentioned before we put the money up quite early on yep. and then uh, the distributor picked it up after it was produced yep. um, so it was pretty seamless and it's it's gone on to subsequent seasons Oh wow! With the same partner. So with that, when you picked it up first, and you said you're able, you're able to say, look, we're taking these territories. So yeah. then, the, the sort of the producer knows that the rest of the territories are available. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, although our channels go across a vast amount of regions and yeah. territories, um, including Nordic, CE, Russia, CIS, Sub-Saharan Africa uh -huh. for pre-buys, um, they do still have the main Western territory, European territories and US and Canada oh, to you're flog. perfect partner. So, um, <laughs> and that's why we yep. um, speak to people um, like UK TV and SBS yep. Australia and Foxtel because yep. um, we don't compete yep. across those territories and uh, our remits are very close. So, so does works. that work well if there's, do you have any um, sort of those cultural issues with language across those territories or is it produced in English and then is it... Um, yeah, I think um, what we found, although um, we have um, so many different, different views yeah. across the territories, um, most of the time across uh, Central and Eastern yeah. Europe, it, it fits an international production. Mm. Um, it's quite objective mm -hmm. and of course we have to still look out for local sensitivities and one of the test cases I've picked for that oh, reason you have? so I'll, okay. I'll mention it later Is on. Is it worth sort of just to keep the other panellists involved and we can maybe talk about each other's shows a little bit that point of uh, say with you you and with just taking would you just take this uh, UK or footprint what footprint would you take and then what would be available could a producer then sell the rest of the territories around the world? Yeah, ab ab absolutely. Um, I mean, our, our standard um, terms of trade in, in the UK working with independents um, only really secures the, the, the territory yep. of the UK mm. for, a, for you know, a fixed term licence period. Yep. Um, so definitely. That's, so you could, that's, that's why the patch practice. works, doesn't it? Sort of not that the, yeah. As long as there's no overlapping, the patches should put, fit together quite nicely. Um, and cultural issues and... You just, you've already sort of told us that um, the producer came to you, you put the first in. Did the patchwork commissioning save the day on this show? Did you, know, you coming on and SBS, were the producers sort of, you know, was it yes. hairy at any point? Um, it, 
Mm. No, I think it, we're always the last point. So I think yeah. until we join, because we always need uh, um, someone to lead, just because oh, okay. we yep. don't really want to take the editorial stance. But we know if UK TV is on board, yep. their tone and style fits in with ours. Yep. And um, it's fine for us. So. Um, we're the last point in the puzzle, so yep. until we say yes, they can't really go into production, um, and we don't really make them wait. You know, it's like if it works for us, then we make a decision really quickly. So, and with the distributor, have they come stayed on board the whole. You said it's gone into subsequent seasons, yep. so they just cobble together. They also go come kind of the patchwork and put other territories together. Yes, exactly. Okay. So the pre-buy is done by the producer, and they pick up the uh, the series mm -hmm. um, for the rest of the territories okay. afterwards. All right, thank you. We're going to have clip number three. Oh, I really want to watch that. Who's doing it in Australia? <laughs> you can have the format. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Panel's over. Uh, I'll follow up on that. I love that one. Um, <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit more about that one for you and the process with that one. I think this one was definitely more relationship-based with the producer because yep. they took a bit of a punt on our interest yep. uh, before having a commissioning broadcast. Oh, wow. So we actually did the deal with them and then they had a US network on board. So um, they did the cobbling after the fact? Exactly. So they, had they, they already did. sort of started? Um, yeah. yeah, so, and it's just, we've just signed on the second series with them. Um, so based on the relationship with the first one, because um, nobody else wanted to come on board, but once we were on board, they were able to go and sell it that, as well. That's so. a really important point, because you can talk to distributors and probably producers in the room will know, but if, unless you've got a broadcaster, that editorial eye and you put that stamp on the paper, um, it, 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 you can't really sell it without, it's, mm. I think it's a, a critical part of uh, any distribution plan. Um, so uh, I can hear there were American accents and American, mm -hmm. so that was... Uh, Canadian. Oh, ca sorry. Don't worry, I'm the same. <laughs> don't worry, I, I don't know um, the difference either. Um, so that was a Canadian co-production. Yeah, it was um, yeah. Summerhill. All right. Uh, any? Uh, I'll just think of any other. Po We're going to get to one that's got a little bit of. Uh, yeah, something right a little bit at more. the end. Okay, number four. Oh well, that looks good too. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, tell us a little bit that one. Is that Canadian? That's yeah. Canadian. Is that Cream? Did that one today? Uh, no, yep. that was uh, Papini. Okay. Yep. Um, so this had a uh, Canadian commissioning broadcaster on yep. board, um, uh, HDTV, and mm. then we spoke with UKTV, and Foxtel yep. also has it, so yep. that was another collaboration with them. It's gone into uh, subsequent seasons, I think we were on series four at the moment, oh, wow. and uh, it's a really good performer for us. Wow, that's, that's, that looks good. With that one, with the, uh, it's like a unique, well, it's universal, isn't it, building something, but it sort exactly. of feels like it is... Canadian with the wood and that, does that matter? Does it matter? It doesn't story? really matter. I mean, we, um, 
recently just met with the production company yeah. and we suggested that they maybe go to Russia to build a summer house out yeah. of these. So, you know, they were open to it. Yeah. So I think it definitely travels. Mm -hmm. um, and the characters are what makes it because there's great banter between them, but there's still, you know, something at the end of it. It's not just... There's a result. It's not just an object, yeah. With Julia, just not to forget you down the end, with, do you find the Australian accent, like Canadian accent, I just got mi mixed up with American and it feels like it's universal. The British accent on the first show is just universal. It feels universal, but... When I watch a South African show, I just can, can't... I'm like, oh my God, they sound so funny. But then I realise that we sound so <laughs> funny, and to, especially to international audiences. With some of your shows, and I think we're going to... I don't want to jump the gun and talk about them too soon, but, um, so, you know, with um, Outback Truckers and that, you know, when... G'day, mate. How you going? How do, <laughs> you know, how does that translate? Um, yeah. Yes and no. I think for a title like Outback Truckers, and we'll see a clip in a minute... Um, then it does because uh, that's that's the the cachet of the sh the, sh the show the series. It's a, it's about truckers. It's about Aussie Blake. So I think people expected it and accepted it. But we um, it's still a challenge for the U.S. market. Those accents they just kind of go. Oh, I don't think my I don't think my viewers will understand. Who says that? The U.S. Uh, the, the buyers. Yeah. yeah U.S. Okay. market. Um, it's a it's a challenge still for them. They're not willing to take the risk. Oh, wow. um, they believe that their their viewers won't won't understand the accent unless you say crikey. <laughs> <laughs> but even you know, I mean, there are some shows you know that they uh, that America because it's in Louisiana or wherever you know, they're subtitling their own shows. But that's okay because they're still American characters, okay. and I think they're accepting of that um, and expect not to understand those guys. Um, okay. But Aussies, that um, I, I actually I don't agree with the buyers. Of course, I oh, think okay. that I think the, the U.S. audience will will get it and will understand it. Um, but uh, yeah, it is a barrier. It's a barrier for the but the very broad Aussie accent. But it's a barrier um, just because uh, they every market wants their own voice. They want their own story. Yeah. Very difficult to put a deal together when it's a very Aussie story and a very, uh, if it's all Australian scientists or all Australian historians or whatever, right. uh, very difficult to get that away. What, what about if there's a narration track they can put into their own? Yeah, um, and I mean, you know, that a, a yeah. distributor yeah. Would, would love and say, you know, please, not, not too many talking heads and not too many pieces <laughs> of the camera. We just want it so that we can do wall to wall narration because it's fantastic for reversioning. They can yeah. just put a different accent on and a different. Uh, um, language on it and it makes it so much easier um, so sometimes that works but then domestically at home um, that's not uh, the that's not the tradition that's not the style at the moment people want characters they want presenters they want people um, talking on camera yeah, so that make, that's a bit of a pitfall. So maybe we could uh, we, we're sort of going to look at that. But I suppose even the the Scottish versus English, you know, there's a lilt there that I've picked yeah. up slightly sometimes. You <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, was, I was I was quite intrigued to hear you refer to the British accent. <laughs> Something I haven't come across. No. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, and and to, just to pick you up, you know, it it is not unheard of for um, commissioners in London uh, to, to to ask me to put subtitles on on. <laughs> Uh, programs that we've made out of Scotland. So really, um, yeah. Yeah. wow, that's incredible. <coughs> okay, so um, and there's another one there. It's weather that changed the world. Clip five. 
Could it be that the most feared army in ancient Rome suffered their greatest defeat due simply to heavy rain? Was a slight change in wind direction the real reason for the Hindenburg disaster? Could a fleeting mirage have confused the experienced crew of the Titanic? Did a couple of degrees of temperature cost the lives of the Challenger's crew? In a brand new series, we investigate the pivotal impact the weather has had on shaping our history. Weather that changed the world. Premier Monday the 16th of September on Viasat History. So they, gosh, the, the selection you've picked is so universally interesting, mm. I find. Is this, with this one, is it another one of those ones? It's just universal. It looks like it speaks to anyone. It does, and that's why that was actually a collaboration with UK TV. Yeah. Um, I believe Smithsonian, I'm not too sure. Um, and again, SBS. Yeah. Um, editorially, yes, it spoke to all our audiences. The reason I picked that one is because we actually had to change the script um, when oh, wow. we languaged it yep. in Russia because it said the Red Army was defeated by the weather and they wouldn't have that. You know? Oh my so God. <laughs> we had to tweak it. To really? <laughs> yes. So you had to rewrite history? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is what we're finding with some of this stuff. So um, oh, wow. although uh, we prefer to go with uh, international um, versions yep. with um, producers, um, we do have to really take into account local sensitivities because um, the Russian version of the World War II is incredible. slightly different. So you, if you go back to medieval, you're allowed to exactly. say whatever happened. Exactly. But yeah. once you get into recent history, and yeah. I think with Wild Bear, I think I can see Michael up there, we had an issue with uh, sense of China sensitivity from the war recently, didn't we? We couldn't say certain things. So it's about finding that balance. It might be good to bring that up at question time. Um, but um, oh no, that's incredible that you had to. Does as that happen to? Uh, oh, I think we're going to talk about it in your clips. I think we will. We'll wait for the we'll, for the clips. Did that? Did you have to change all of them or just your version? Because guess who has to wear the changes? Or did you wear the changes? Did we, did the producer have to deliver no. twice? No. No. Um, we were so nice. We said, "Don't worry about it," because we voice over in Russia, so yeah. we we'll just changed the voice. You over. just changed the voice over. So if it had been a, a cross in archive where there might have been something more yeah. fixed, you would have had to change exactly. clips. And, and so, as you all know, that yeah, so it could incur costs. So yeah, I mean, our audiences in Poland obviously didn't care whether Russia, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the Red Army, was beaten by the weather yeah. or not. So what we did defeat the, what, what did defeat the Red Army then in the uh, in your script? Uh, in the reversion. If it Napoleon, wasn't the Napoleon's army, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't mind being defeated. Who had a backwind? I'm going to watch this series. <laughs> All righty. Well, thanks, Anna. Well, I think it would be good now if we, we move along. But I think we've opened, if we can sort of keep the open up and, and keep discussing it, it's really interesting to, to see it playing out. You and you've got some clips, like we said before, you've got a, a different remit, I think, where Santa has sort of this global reach. We go now down into uh, the opposite, which is a, a drilled down specific audience. Um, let's have uh, uh, five. Can I, oh, can yeah, can I just go. Do a re yeah, go um, um, uh, the, the 
the first clip, can I just say, first of all, I think my clips are slightly longer, but there's, oh, th there's not as many. Um, yeah. uh, so um, this first one I chose because I think it's a really good example um, and I'll explain a bit why afterwards. It's a film, it was a two-parter about um, the, marking the anniversary of the fall of Singapore that was made by Electric Pictures. Oh, so and an Australian co-production? Yeah, Fantastic. This, this is our, um, this, this is the opening of our version. Yeah. Singapore. A thriving multicultural world city. An Asian tiger playing a key role on the world stage. But just below the surface of this former British colony lies a history of foreign invasion, smouldering racial tension and violent struggle against imperial power. After more than a hundred years of colonial rule, in 1941 the flames of independence were lit when Japan bombed Singapore. Because the next morning when I went up to my room and this, that's what I discovered. The shrapnel right in the middle of my pillow where my head would have been. A brutal campaign began to expel the white colonials from Asia. The Japanese despised the Anglo-Saxon powers that had occupied most of Asia. The propaganda at the time is all about ridding Asia of the white men. British Empire forces were plunged into war in Southeast Asia fighting a determined enemy in the unfamiliar jungles of Malaya and Singapore. The only Commonwealth unit to have any idea of how to fight the Japanese was the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders. They were what I call a first-class soldier, highly trained to jungle warfare. They played the Japs at their own game. The invasion unleashed an explosion of social conflict amongst the Chinese, Malay and Indian communities who resented British rule. The coming of the Japanese presented a very good opportunity for them to get independence. It was a call to arms that echoed within the ranks of the British Army, causing 20,000 British Indian Army soldiers to switch sides and fight for the Japanese. When those men at the end of the war go back to India, they're hailed as national heroes because they fought against an imperial power. Singapore, the bastion of the British Empire, fell in just 70 days. It was Japan's greatest victory and Britain's most humiliating defeat of World War II. The fall of Singapore changed the face of Southeast Asia forever and heralded the beginning of the end of the British Empire. surprise you to hear that the that that, um, that viewers in Australia weren't weren't informed about the important part that Scottish soldiers <laughs> played in, <laughs> in the conflict or in, in Singapore so um, for me for me this this was this was a really good experience of a co-production um, uh, apart from the different narrator and um, and the odd little reference like that dropped in there at the top of the film. Um, this was essentially a story that that was big enough, was important enough to play to play to our audience and for our audience to absolutely get the reason for its relevance to them. Um, and and 
in actual fact, within the film itself, the, the, the role of um, uh, Scottish soldiers was, was kind of seamlessly woven into the, into the film. Um, I think it does, it does slightly beg a question for me, this, this kind of project, because if, if it worked well for, for the territory that I was responsible for, it could have actually worked well for more territories than, than, than it ended up um, playing into. Um, and Why is that, Ewan? What are you saying? Yeah, well, no, it no, had Scottish is, relevance. It, it, yeah, but. But, but the same thing could have been done for, for um, other groups, other, other territories, as, as happened with Scotland. So it, it would have been possible that ra rather than me taking the kind of easy route of saying, I'll chip in a hundred and something grand into this production, I could have said, I'm only chipping in 50,000 grand. Yep. You, go, you go and find some more partners that you, can, <laughs> that you can get into this, which, of course, the production company making it, I'm sure, would have been absolutely delighted if I'd, um, if I'd suggested that. Um, but, but overall... Why is that? They were about to lose some money, or is that...? No, no, no. no I'm, just, I'm just saying from the point of view of, my, of the level of investment yep. that was being asked for from me. Yep. So if you, know, if, if you wanted to extend out this whole business of, of patchwork yep. commissioning and seeking as many funders as you, as you could possibly get then. But, but one of the problems with that, obviously, is, is that you know, a deal can get done relatively quickly when, when there aren't too many Two. people yep. in, involved in it. And there were a number of funders in there, but um, it, it, it wasn't complicated. It wasn't complicated to get over the line, and it wasn't complicated in terms of its, um, of its construction yep. and, and delivery. Um, so um, the, the, the next clip um, I wanted to show, some of you may have seen, it's, it's a feature documentary called The Great Hip Hop Hoax, um, and uh, it kind of, well, it kind of speaks for itself in this mm. sequence. so far ahead of the game. I've never seen anything like it. I thought they were going to be huge. Our travels have taken us from the UK, California, Asia, all over the place really. Ended up back in London, did one show. There was record company people there. They offered us a record deal. We needed money for booze, so we thought, take the deal, let the good times roll. It was like having two early M&Ms, and they're from America. That means they're amazing. They were very young, they were dynamic. My plan was to use a Sony system to take them to the world. I mean, I thought of the Beastie Boys. I grew my pubes to my nipples, put some hair on my chest. I'm just a MC, you're legitimately giving my 
gentlemen, uh, please bring your hands together for Silverborn Braves. It seems that your music's going to be huge here in the UK and in the US. What's all? Yes. They had nothing but total and utter confidence in everything they were doing. They were now with one of the biggest record labels in the world. What would possibly stand in their way and stop them from becoming huge? So, were you guys from Planet Zordon? Yeah. Really, I can we tell. We were adopted by aliens when we were kids and uh, we travel around the solar system ever since then. But what about really? I'm Gavin Bain. I'm not Brains and Clyde. I'm not American. I'm Scottish. I've never been in America. You know, everyone lies. Everyone's lying. Which is what you're lying for. They had an idea to cheat the system. The moment they woke up in the morning, they had to be American. And to girls they met, and to friends they made, greatest actors I've ever come across. You know, and they're full on Scots. We just created a monster. There's so much lies about the lies, about the lies. Why can't you just tell the truth now? And that's, that's, what, I want, that's what I want to do. <laughs> wow. So, yes. Um... <laughs> Uh, apart from apart from it being a great film, um, which uh, I, I would urge you to get a copy of it and have a look, um, it, it's it's an amazing story, and they did actually manage to get hundreds of thousands of pounds out of Sony Records, um, wow. and 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 kept that going for about a year. In, that's not in a London. patchwork; that's a quilt. <coughs> yeah, is it a? <laughs> but the thing about this one, and, and it's, it's kind of true of people who operate in feature documentary territory, which I'm sure you know anyway, is, um, is that th th this is a slightly different form of, of patchwork commissioning or funding in that um, the, the director of this film, Jeannie Finlay, came to me with the idea and a little taster in Sheffield at the Doc Festival probably about 2007 something like that, um, uh, and I said I would put money into it, and at that point she had a small amount of development money from somewhere, um, uh, and I said, absolutely, I'll get behind it. Um, and she then spent the next four years, something oh, like wow. that, um, uh, slowly making this film and slowly gathering in bits of money from here, there, and everywhere. Um, Storyville came on board after about three years or something like that um, with, with, a, with a small amount of money um, and in the end they got it over the line. But, but one of the interesting things about this film is um, if that hadn't happened it wouldn't have been anything like as interesting or as good a film as it ended up being. And the reason for that was that w when, when she first came to me with it if we had concluded a deal, if I'd been in a position to put 100% funding into it or whatever, then um, she only had one of them signed up. The, the other guy was, was tied into a deal that was going to, that was going to make a, a fictional feature film out of, out of the story. Um, and at that point, they had fallen out so badly that they weren't talking to each other. So it was only because, you know, fortuitously, 
it took ages to get the money together, and that she was built that 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 by the time that happened, they'd started talking to one another again, and the, and the option on the on the feature film had disappeared, so it it, it ended up being a much well. better piece of work than than it than it would otherwise have been. Um, so. Uh, Final one that I was going to show a clip of is number six, please. Jay. Uh, can I just? Yeah. Can I, oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, it, we we it was one of one of the earliest um, co-productions I got involved with um, with Australia was uh, in a, it was a series that was getting made by Artemis called Desperately Seeking Doctors, um, and it, it was suggested uh, that we sent a Scottish doctor over um, to be part of this. Um, and it ended up, uh, ended, the, the, there, were, there were two quite distinct versions in the end of, of what went out. It, it went out in SBS, um, and a follow-up commission then happened, which was, um, which was a co-production, again, with, with SBS um, and with a few different uh, funders in there, um, which, was, which we put out under the title of um, Dr. Fort. Fortune's Australian casebook, and the idea behind this was that this doctor that we'd taken out in the first instance, who had been um, marginally exposed to um, to an Aboriginal community, was to come back and actually spend a lengthy period of time um, dealing with all the medical issues and medical problems in in an Aboriginal community in in Australia. Um, and the idea from the outset was that we would try and have as little versioning in this as possible. Um, but it didn't quite work that way. So um, if we could just show this yeah, clip. Many Aboriginals live on designated estates or so-called reserves in and around Kununurra. Mary had previously visited a nearby estate to see for herself. It's a, like a ghetto, really. It's like a rural slum. I would not be able to sustain that type of living myself as a younger person. Uh, I mean, can you imagine being plucked out of our home and put into their home at the age of 71 with illnesses, etc., etc.? How would you feel? How would you cope? No bed, no change of clothes, 20 people, 30 people coming through your home like a train every night, stealing your food, cats and dogs around, broken windows, people breaking in. I mean, how, how the hell would you be able to live like that? It's deplorable, it's despicable, it's shameful. Hi, Linda. It's Dr. Mary. Remember, I saw you in the clinic this afternoon. How are you feeling tonight? I think you're a familiar face here, aren't you, darling? It's unbelievable. And I've seen that time and time again. Line of tragedy coming in through that door at the OVAS. Every single one of them has tragedy written on their forehead before you even hit the notes. There we go. Is that better? And, you know, these are Linda's notes. She's 71, so she's done pretty well. But there's notes this thick on people who are 30, 40 years old with chronic disease. Why should that be? Why should it be? 
I'm sorry I'm getting angry, but that's, wait, wait. that's you know, uh, it, it, it's just shocking. So, I think this, this one's quite interesting because it, 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 it does just raise that issue of how difficult it becomes to, to make these sort of projects and deals work in a smooth fashion when there's, when there's such a high level of cultural specificity involved in, in, in what's going on. Um, we, we, we discussed in advance all sorts of things and all sorts of ways that we would go into this kind of situation and story. But in the end, the, the, the level of contextualisation for a Scottish audience that was required um, and, and the amount of information that, that needed to be told in order to set the scene meant that right from the outset, the, the versions were, were just diverging in a way that was quite remarkable. Um, and I, I've only ever seen a little bit of, the, of what went out in Australia, but it was very, very different to, um, uh, to, what, to what we um, uh, showed. And the other problem with it, that, and again, it, it was anticipated and discussed, but somehow it still happened, mm -hmm. um, was that, that what was going to be remarkable for an audience in Scotland would be, in a sense, all too familiar for, for um, you know, for, for the audience, the domestic audience in Australia. So, um, I just think it's 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 one of you know, if 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 you look at the projects that clearly have have worked well in this kind of environment, they are projects that that actually you can properly understand why they will play well in numerous territories mm. and and they're not going to throw up the kind of the kind of issues and concerns that that and the sensitivities that uh, that, that a project like this did and it actually you know it, it played out very well in uh, in Scotland how did, how did they change it uh, for the for yeah, was SPS was it, it was SPS can, yeah. Yeah, what that, was the Australian yeah well that's what I was you can now you can ask because I was just going to ask that like what it's did it was almost like two different films two different edits did you have to like really drill it, which makes patchwork commissioning then unviable because you have to yeah I, th I think it, I think it became it became very difficult for um, a for for Artemis in delivering the two the two versions you know I've I've worked on a number of occasions with Brian and Celia and found that, you know, great, the relationship's been brilliant. Um, but I think it was just, it was just once, once, you know, the broadcaster here started to take a look at the, at the material, um, it just, uh, what, was, what was required domestically here, just, just, the, 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 just this enormous big gulf opened up between, between uh, what was required and necessary to make this Play well and work for the, for an audience in Scotland or indeed any you know in the UK. So the producers were sitting there with their notes from the production, and there was what there were well, I would uh, two sets yeah. of commissioning notes that were completely different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it must yeah. have been uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of, a lot a lot of work in post production yeah. that that wasn't. And in actual fact, I'm, I I I might be wrong, but I think it went out in two parts in um, in Australia where we we got three hours out of it. Wow. Wow. Okay, thank you for sharing that. To Julia, and we've got to keep moving, I think we're, we're yep. Um, Julia, um, we've looked at, well, this could be interesting given what you've just shown. I was going to ask if patchwork commissioning will dilute our Australian content. 
Um, but I mean, maybe we, let's look at your clips, and um, I can, you know, we, we can sort of have a little chat about. Perhaps that. I could just introduce yeah. the first clip. So yeah. it's going to be um, season four of Outback Truckers, and I cho I've chosen this one. Um, it's one of our latest, but it's also an example of relationships, um, building on those relationships, and they're ongoing. Um, and we've been fortunate enough to get four seasons out of. Uh, chuckers. That's so fantastic. This, is a, this actually hasn't gone to air yet, so sneak preview. All right, sneak preview, everyone. At his home office in Brisbane, Queensland, Peter Titoff, aka Turbo, <laughs> has got a lot of time on his hands. It's a far cry from last year when Turbo was flat out driving his truck. Now it's uh, world domination for, for P&J transport. And flat out building a trucking empire. Get myself into, you know, 100, 200 trucks. Pushing himself, his truck and his bank balance to breaking point. Along the bumpy road to riches. It's a very risky chance I'm taking. It's completely but now, dreaming big is the last thing on his mind. Turbo's in survival mode. He hasn't had a decent job in weeks. It just... it just shoots me to tears. As hard as he tries, he can't find a load. It's been pretty tough. Pretty tough. It's an owner-driver's worst nightmare. I... Who say tip a truck to go from there to Darwin? I'll have to get someone to give him a call. I've actually got a road train sitting here waiting to load to go. Well, also tell the checkers that I just want to see him while in. Righto, thanks. Okay, bye. Work dries up while the bills keep coming. And the lowest of quotes is never quite low enough. I just gave him a price and he goes, no, I mean, that's too um, yeah, so um, Outback Truckers, obviously, they're, they're the accents um, for all to hear. Um, very strong, um, but it, it suits the material. It's exactly, it's about real guys doing real jobs. Um, we, um, as I say, we've now made um, three 13-part series, and the first series was a five-parter. A five so... Um, it's built as a brand, and it really has become a brand. Um, we've been fortunate enough that um, Discovery are the uh, broadcasters, and they love returnable series. Um, and that's why I would certainly recommend, um, it's a producer's nirvana, but if you can find, if you can really look, work, to, work within your, your content to try and find that, those shows that will return. Yeah. I mean, we all know it. So but did you cobble together a number of discovery territories to make that a platform? Yep. Yeah, so yeah. and it was a, yep. it was, it's difficult because, you know, if one of those partners, one of the family, of discovery family, fall, fall away, um, that's a, a hole in your, your, your finance plan. Yep. So you've got, to, you've got to work really, really hard um, to keep those partners, and there's, there's, there's a number of them. Yep. And it doesn't always work for every market. Yep. We've been fortunate that with Chuckers it does, but sometimes there's a title that, say, the UK really loves it, it works well for them, but in Poland it's not playing so well. So you can lose that um, partner within your, your deal, and that's where it's a real challenge. But at the end of the day, it's all about 
content. It's got to, you've got to find content that will play to those markets. doesn't matter how many great deals you do or how many great relationships you have. Um, it's all about that content and finding those ideas that will cut across and, and, and go into a global marketplace. And that's the challenge. That's really difficult. And it's really difficult when you want to get down your Aussie end as well. And if your Australian market isn't interested um, in uh, more global ideas, as often is the case, um, that's, that's the big challenge, I think. So you're saying that our Australian story here, that without Backtruckers, sold better overseas than it would to our own audiences? It, the hardest thing for us, we, it took us four years to get our Backtruckers up. What? And a hard, the hardest um, element was getting the local pre-sale. Oh, wow. That's we, could, we had no problems going overseas with it. It was actually the, the homegrown market was the hardest thing to put together. And without it, you know, you don't have your tax offsets. You've got to have your screen. You've got to have your Australian screen. So um, it's not just about international co-pros. Yeah. You've got to, it's also about the, uh, the, local, um, the local market. And um, as we all know, ABC and SBS are, one of, you know, are, are two of our um, most uh, uh, important factual um, commissioners um, mm. aren't. Um, so it's it's a challenge, yeah. Did you get Screen Australia money as well? Yeah, for um, for Outback Truckers, we've um, uh, just to, for a pilot. So yeah. they've only put in a little bit, yeah. but it's all very important bits. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, it all, and Screen, all and Screen West, of yeah. course, are always a okay. great supporter. So state funding, federal yep. funding, and then uh, uh, and discovery. And, oh, and, and sorry, uh, Mate. It's on Channel Seven, Mate. Oh, fantastic! So, so the digital channel was really important. It, very very small money, um, yeah. but it was key because it's our Australian screen. Okay, and so it, suits their, it suits their audience. It was a slap bang into their target market. All right, so it's really good to know what... Um, you can't just go and sell it. You have to make sure you're meeting your quotas and your... Uh, your, your well, no, no money, no film, is yeah. what we always say. So, you know, you don't go out and make yeah. it. So you have to put all those deals... You have to put those partners together. But it takes time. It takes yeah. a long time. And um, it means going out to the marketplace. That's, right. you know, that's the important thing. Thank you. All right, you've got another clip. Oh, I've got another clip. What's yeah. this one? Um... Is Death of the Megabeast? Yeah, Death of oh, the Megabeast. Okay. I chose this one because it was a nightmare in terms of a um, uh, number of versions. There were lots of different versions oh. on this one. Thank you. 
title design. Yeah. <laughs> I just remind myself um, what the uh, co-production was on that one. Um, so this was um, National Geographic Channels, yeah. um, NGTI, so that's the, dis the distributor, um, SBS, uh, Screen West, Screen Australia, and France 5. So what wow. we had, we had France 5 had a 52-minute version and an 85-minute version. NGC had a 96-minute version, um, and we had a, a 52-minute version. So 52, 85, and 96. Um, and we were obviously having to reversion for France, for France 5, um, and, uh, uh, and the 85-minute version. And it, so it, it became very complicated, and it became expensive in, in the reversioning. But we had to make sure that we budgeted for that. I think that's a real key. If you're going to do reversioning, if you're going to have lots of these partners, make sure you've got um, it in the budget because it can be a nightmare and you're the one who's going to pay for it. Very, very, very rarely would a, a broadcaster um, come, and, come and stamp up the cash when you say, ah, it's actually taking a little bit longer than we thought. Um, it's sort of tough. So um, make sure you've got lots of um, uh, spare contingency for your reversioning. Yeah, I've, I've it was very difficult with the because the CGI as well was a really key part of that that film, obviously, um, and uh, it was ex expensive CGI. But it looks like an Australian story that yeah. travels internationally. But yeah, the reversioning, uh, yeah, catch it up front, so you know you've got to do extra edits, and the, each edit is a different story. Um, I, I want to just maybe just jump to one more of your Julius because I'm just I'm before, aware it, of before the time. I, and the other yeah. thing that was important with that film was um, writing the script that everyone agreed on so that we knew, so we could, we could go back to them. Um, if they all wanted lots of different changes um, uh, at the, in the post, they could say, no, sorry, you, you know, this is the script. Yep. We haven't gone off the script. Um, you can't suddenly now change the structure or want more CGI, we can't afford well, it. Well, that's interesting. That goes back to you when you were talking about the, uh, the doctor, the, the last project Dr. you Fortune. talked about. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Fortune, did, um, was there a script that was agreed on that you went off target? That's, that's a key point. If everyone's on the same page, everyone knows how many versions, everyone knows how much money's going in, the producer knows what budgets to make it all. It all it's all planned, it all goes to plan, except when, at what point, do you know it hasn't gone right? Well, uh, I, think, <laughs> I think it's always likely to happen when you're joining together to, you know, to make what is effectively an observational documentary, you know. So it so happens in the, in the, in the reality. Ab ab yep. Absolutely, and in the edit, you know. I mean, all, all that we can do in advance is, is, you know, is work out the ground rules and, um, and have a bit of a discussion about where we feel that the sensitivities and the problems are likely to arise. Right. But, but I say, as I say, in this case, it, di it, it didn't prevent them arising. Mm -hmm. um, and even with hindsight, I'm not sure that we could ever have, have yeah. prevented it. Okay, so it's not the norm. If we want to, we want to pick one of those. Just, I'm just aware of the time, and I really do want to get into some Q and A with uh, so that we, we, the audience gets the best value of people. Do you want to pick one of those? Which one is the most um, uh, interesting for? Oh, could the I topic? actually? Uh, oh, I is that okay to do that, Joe? Yep, got a thumbs up. Um, uh, Glippley's Deep Secrets, which is what? Which what the next one? Oh, nine. Yeah, okay. Did you want to introduce it at all? Oh yeah. Um, sorry, this was. Um, this was a co-production with um, National Geographic Television um, uh, with uh, Dr. Robert Ballard, who found the Titanic. Um, but I'll tell you a, an interesting story um, uh, once you've seen the clip. Right. Dr. Robert Ballard, the man who discovered the Titanic, is now on a voyage to unlock the lost secrets of another epic tragedy. In 1915, in the depths of World War I, 
Nearly 150,000 perish here at Gallipoli. Over 10,000 Anzacs died. Gallipoli was a meat grinder, and it's just tragic. The land battle is infamous. The carnage began and should have ended at sea. A mighty Allied fleet trying to end the war was stopped in its tracks by a small Turkish force. The clues to this devastating defeat lie in a trail of wrecks at the bottom of the sea. This is where people's lives end, dreams end, everything ends. Ballard is on a quest for the truth to uncover Gallipoli's deep secrets. There it is. Sorry about the mix on that. That must have got um, <laughs> lost somewhere. Um, yeah, the, um, this was um, uh, a big co-production for us. With um, it had National Geographic um, Television, so we worked. They had the relationship with um, Robert Ballard, um, which um, so they brought him. If you like, he he does only works with National Geographic. He's one of their um, uh, sort of explorers. Um, they wanted to do something with him. He really wanted to do the Gallipoli um, underwater story. Uh, it was able, we were able to bring those two together, of course, with Australia. Australia's connection with um, Gallipoli, it made it a perfect co-production. Um, and History Channel, Australia took it here. Um, the other interesting um, partner was, um, was Rai, R-A-I, Rai in Italy. I don't know oh, why wow. they took it, actually. But um, it was very interesting because... Um, that was sold uh, by NGTI. They sold that, they pre-sold that uh, territory before we started to make the show. And what they did, what we had to do while we were on the boat with, um, with Robert, he had to, to do some spiel in Italian oh, that we uh, had to film. Yeah. So they gave us um, a script that he had to learn some Italian off by heart, which he did very well. Um, but also we had to do some green screen um, shots for them. Wow. Because what they actually did... Um, was put their presenter what? in <laughs> on the boat. What? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure Virtual if the Italian reality. audience actually yeah. realised this, but he was wandering around the boat. Boat. Um, but we did, we ha had to shoot some green screen, some plates for them, and they popped their presenter in as if he was uh, on the boat with Robert Ballard. Oh wow, that's um, incredible! And, uh, <laughs> so the things you do, the things you do for uh, for a commission. Yeah. So a bit of money. Well, I th look, I think that's the end of the test case. I think we could just jump to some broader and anyone answer. Uh, how important, and I, I think I know the answer and I think everyone else does, but how important are the relationships in all this, Senator? Uh, I think you mentioned um, similar broadcasters with every one of your clips. How important is that trust and relationship in an international co-production? It's, it's obviously very important because um, you have to be able to trust that you know that they'll come on board and I think we've managed to build such a close-knit uh, relationship with all the broadcasters mm. we work with that we can we're at a point where we can go to one and yep. say actually we really need this well can you come on board so you help and other broadcasters <laughs> and yeah exactly and yeah. vice versa you know it works both ways wow. um, we recently had UK TV come to us and say we've been really trying to get this project like greenlit wow. for such a long time um, are you guys up for it and we went back and said actually we wouldn't have been on board for it but you know if you guys are 
it, it is something that would work for us. It wouldn't have been a priority for us, but for the good of the relationship. We that's incredible. Yeah, so yeah. that's good for producers if those uh, established networks are in place uh, mm -hmm. to continue that. You and how important are relationships for you? It sounds like you've got solid relationship with Australia there. Um, yeah. How, how important are these relationships? Oh, I mean, I think I think it's I think it's vital. Yeah. Um, absolutely vital. You certainly need to you you need to trust the people that you're working with and trust their judgment. I mean, at, at its at its simplest. When you boil it down, commissioning commissioning is is an extremely easy thing to do. It's about it's about taking the best possible idea and ensuring that the best possible person makes it or team mm -hmm. make it. Um, it gets a bit more complicated when there are numerous partners and and when there's lots of deals to be done around that kind of mm. core function. And Julia. Oh, yeah, key, absolutely key. I mean, that's why, you know, I think um, Ed and I went to a marketplace before we even um, made a film. It was going, going out to that marketplace, international marketplace, making those relationships and keep chipping away and, and, and hang in there. Um, uh, yeah, you, yeah and, you keep, and keep delivering on time, on budget, and keep delivering good programming and you'll be okay. So you have to perform. I know, and I actually wrote a note to your name, how important are festivals and MIP, and I don't know, if, you know, I, I started going to MIP really early on and saw the value in those relationships. It still took five years to get a, you know, to build a track record here domestically, build some relationships with the domestic broadcasters before going to MIP and they see I'd turn up again and again, you were, you know, they, they see you're a real player. So I think um, how important are those festivals and those MIP uh, relationships, the marketplace? Key, absolutely key. key. I mean, yeah. again, as I say, you know, because we, we don't have broadcasters that fully fund, um, we're reliant on subsidy uh, You to get out to that marketplace um, and find those um, extra relationships uh, because we can't rely on ABC and SBS anymore. We have to get out yeah. there. Um, and um, and make those deals. Yeah. How important for international uh, partners are Australians? We come with a, an offset and uh, state funding, and we're heavily subsidised. Just what Julie said. Are we an attractive partner to international broadcasters looking for the gap funding on shows, or when we present shows that just need a top up that might suit? Are we an attractive place to to come? Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. I mean, probably people in here that are on the other side of the fence might view things slightly differently, but um, uh, I, I think it's. Uh, I think the, the relationships that I've had with um, with the broadcasters here and um, and with producers here have been, you know, have have been great um, because one one of the things as an observation from outside is that, I mean, I've no doubt these deals are tortuous to pull together. Um, yes. I, I, <laughs> yes. I, yes. End, I end up going, great idea, I'll come in for X pounds um, and, you know, and, and we'll worry about the, uh, we'll worry about rates somewhere else down the track, but, but um, uh, and the deal has to be done, but, but I know it's tortuous, but in actual fact, relative to what happens in the UK, once you get a project over the line here, in my experience, it tends to be quite a healthy budget that, um, that, that mm. people are working with. So therefore, they can deliver a project mm. of real quality. Yeah. That's good to know. I, I, we could keep talking, but I'd rather have some questions from the floor. We've got about uh, 10, 15 minutes. Um, um, I think there's, was there microphones around? Can they lighten up a bit? Can we have a bit of light? I feel like it's a nightclub. Is that possible, Jay? <laughs> Yay. Uh, with with the panel mind uh, talking about when uh, 
optioning is either, sorry, um, uh, patchwork commissioning is either a bad idea or where it seemed like a good idea, but it's, um, it's actually come back to bite you, like when it's negative. Um, no, I, th I think we've always had really uh, good uh, experiences. I think you just have to be smart about it, make sure that you get into bed with the right partners. I think that's where the, there can be conflict when you, if you get two very, very different partners who want two very, very different films and you're just, you know, you, you, um, you're, you're setting yourself up for a fall there. So yeah, trying to, try to put the right partners together. Of course, you know, money, money talks, you're always attracted to um, who says yes, but that's where you can have a, uh, have a nasty surprise. Um, being wooed by the, you know, I've done it, I've, I've done it, but you've got to do your due well, diligence. I, I can be easily wooed, so, um, but you just have to then be careful, I guess, and make sure that you do have, then have money for reversion if you're going to get into um, bed, so to speak. There's a question. Hi. I, branded content and programming is becoming much more important, particularly in the States, so I was just wondering if any of you have any experience of that as a portion of your funding and what it's like dealing with the brand and the pitfalls. Do you have any? It's no, not for me. It's no, not, not really. Uh, no, yeah, we did. Um, we did a series called Eco House Challenge uh, for SBS, believe it or not, and um, uh, that had a lot of branded content, um, and uh, it worked well because it was integrated. The, pr the, br I the didn't products. I did yeah. yeah. The products were actually important to the narrative. Yeah, otherwise, it wouldn't have worked, and SBS wouldn't have wanted it. But did that travel? Is that your question? How does that travel then internationally? No, it's more how how much input that brand has, and yeah, whether we they made it really, really clear from from get go that. Um, uh, what the what the storyline was, and basically it was uh, technology was helping to improve um, this family's um, eco um, footprint, if you like. So it was a natural fit. They had to have a, 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 um, a um, an eco-friendly fr fridge, for instance. We were going to have to buy it anyway, um, but instead we got someone to actually um, give us a fridge. Um, so that was um, important. That the again the branded content fitted the narrative, otherwise we wouldn't have been able to do it. It doesn't happen very often. I think there's a lot of branded content maybe on commercial telly daytime, that all their yeah. daytime schedules branded content, but you know. So that can't really travel then if it's a unique brand, so it's, um, you couldn't really co-produce that? Uh, oh, yeah, tricky, and I don't think, you know, it's, it's, it's a different field. I think it's a different area as branded content. Trying to take the mic back so everyone can hear. Sure, I'll, I'll jump in on that. Not from um, a television perspective, but from um, uh, general product stuff. Uh, I find the opposite is the case. If it's a um, either local brands or um, different branding relationships, suddenly that's no longer pertinent overseas. So suddenly it's not necessarily even seen as branded content. So are you talking about it's not about the content? Is it back to story? Some of the universal, uh, the universal elements of the stories that we've seen in the clips. Uh, sure, I, I'm, I'm rather suggesting that that the that, that the brand elements, um, yeah, they, they fall away for, for a different market yeah. where it's not pertinent. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Any other questions? Um, Veronica and Julia, congrats on how much export money you bring into Australia. Um, my question's two part. Firstly, do you think there's a lot more, or how much capacity, how much more capacity do you think Australia has to do um, more big co-productions with international, or not even big, but you know, like co-production type uh, material? And if it did do a lot more, would that be good or bad for you two, do you think? Well, I'd love to do more. 
What I'd love you? to do yeah, more. We'd always love yeah, to do I, more. Yeah, I mean more other more. people doing more. Does that like bite into because obviously one of the barriers is local market attachment. Mm. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, and I'm going to just jump in, sorry, Julia, is that when I, we thought about doing this panel, I'm thinking, do I really want people to know this? Because you get that competitive <laughs> edge when you're a producer, I do. Um, but then I thought, no, I think Australia's growing up now. I, I, I feel, well, uh, that why not? Let's just... Is there an endless... I wouldn't mind asking the commissioning editors too. Would, is there more opportunities to do more Australian content on a global scale, Senator? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, d- I don't think... Um there's any harm in it, certainly. Mm. Um, Would you be willing to do more definitely. with Australia, yeah. Ewan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think there's um, th- there's definitely capacity to um, to do more. And then y- you know, even at that who's who session this morning, there's a guy standing up and you know talking about Red Bull um, about to launch um, new linear TV services, and you're kind of thinking into 30 territories and and with no content that you know they're going to be running it 24 hours a day so you know so long as people keep keep um d- launching yeah, platforms and services then then the you know the, the demand and the opportunity is going to keep rising wow just one thing i would like to mention though um it's really really important though not to forget in our in this industry in australia how much we do rely on subsidy and uh, um I was quite shocked to, um, to actually get the fig- figures for Screen Australia since 2013 has lost over $50 million. $50 million. Now, Gosh. I know that Graham says that, Graham Mason has said that most of that has come out of um, internal savings. But the next cut, and this is, a, you know, this is what we have to really, really be aware of in this industry, is what happens next. Because that will actually eat into production investment. It's got to happen. It will happen. And, and that's when it's going to start to hurt. And that's when... You know, ABC and SBS, they're not doing, they're not interested in, in, in international um, ideas. They're not interested in them. So it's very, very, it's going to be a really hard uh, few years ahead, I reckon, um, for these co-productions when we don't have our, if we don't have an Australian screen, we don't get our tax offset. Mm. So that's where it's going to be a challenge, I think, um, when ABC and SBS um, want, well, SBS, of course, it's a multi- multicultural remit. That doesn't travel. It doesn't travel. Mm-hmm. Um, overseas very well uh, and ABC is very Australian focused um, very much um, looking inward I find so, so and previously they haven't wanted, wanted to do science for a long while hopefully that's about to change um, so we do have some challenges ahead and I think you know, Screen Australia or our subsidy is really really important and if this government doesn't or any government doesn't increase the tax offset to 40% uh, then and they keep squeezing uh, screen Australia and cutting Screen Australia, that then, then we're going to have some real tra- challenges here. What about by making opportunities to avoid um, using Screen Australia funding, say, and just sure. tapping into the offset? Is that is it? Do we need to think smarter and harder? And um, with the, what Ewan said, uh, with uh, global platforms expanding and taking more opportunities, maybe cobbling more. You know, I, I, eleven. <laughs> Who's what's the most? <laughs> um, anyone's had eleven partners to make something happen? Do we need to think smarter to to survive these these ups and downs in our own funding landscape? Um, Julia, I guess yeah, I was talking yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, sorry. We, we we obviously we have to unless they unless you, you do have political will and you do have political change, then yeah, we're gonna ha- we're going to have to. Um, yeah. Otherwise, we but we're going to struggle. Yeah, I, I I do think it's quite it's quite likely though that that uh, that that 
what will happen out of this almost inevitably, and particularly given the way that you know younger generations are consuming uh, content, that 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 the kind of fixation on domestic stories is probably going to reduce. Um, and I think some of that will be by necessity as various funding streams are cut. I mean, the BBC is facing in its next charter period um, a reduction of 20% at least uh, of, its, of its overall funding as a result of, of the settlement that was done to pay for the, the, um, the free licence fees for the over 75s, which, you know, depending on how you estimate it, is between 650 and 750 million pounds. Wow. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think there are things coming up the track that, that, are going to, that are going to make this kind of territory more important rather, yeah. than, mm. rather than less important. And yeah. I, think also, I think also, though, I think broadcasters in the main still tend to us underestimate the intelligence and the curiosity of their audiences. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I think I think a desire to look out onto the world um, is 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 something that we should be encouraging. It was interesting just before I left to come out here. I think for the first time in quite a while, um, a, a, a main British service, it was actually Channel Four, um, played played out a film which could have been from Disappearing World or Under the Sun. Of you know one of those kind of anthropological um, strands from from um, uh, sort of 15 20 years ago, and and it got a stonking audience. Wow, what a surprise! Um, in uh, the modern, uh, it, it was it, it it was about I don't know if it's been showed here yet, but it was it was about um, uh, tribes people in in the Amazon, you know, appearing out of the jungle and 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 making contact, um, and it it was you know it was it was a completely fascinating piece of work. Um, mm. So, so there's surprises. There's hope, there's hope I think, yeah. in all of this. Probably time for one more question or so. I think I can't quite see the time, or maybe one or two. Any other questions? I think we're sort of... Because we sort of went into the future. I think we've sort of covered... That was my <laughs> last question. Um, boy, I did have a question. Is just I thought it would be good to get some tips from Julia and, and the co-commissioners. You know, if you're early practitioner... Coming out into the uh, marketplace, we've talked about going to MIP, building relationships. What, are there some last tips, uh, half for, for people on, on, on just the, your, final note, your final tips or notes on um, patchwork commissioning? I think the markets definitely do play a key role in yep. um, finding out new relationships. And, yep. um, you know, gone are the days when deals were done. I think it it has definitely changed into relationship building. So you're saying you're not going to the market to do the physical no, deal, you're going to do that later, it's relationships. It is, definitely. It's maintaining yeah. uh, current relationships and getting That's to know new ones. It's funny, I gave advice. Someone asked me advice about um, speed pitching today. I think you guys did it before and they said, oh, what do I do? And I said, relax. Just you, You're actually, I said to the young filmmaker, you're making a relationship with that person you're pitching to. You Don't feel like you have to pitch intensely. And I think yeah. that took me a few years to just relax and get to know people, see if the project, you know, obviously you pitch, you're always pitching, but just in a relaxed, more, more, more relationship building way. Um, you and what are your any tips or, or, or final? I would just say in, the, in this territory that I think the biggest danger is is that you just end up with a lot of kind of vanilla TV. Um, that, that I think I think you know think 
concentrate on the integrity of the idea and um, good ideas you know will always attract funding from from people and good ideas will when they're made into television programs will find audiences generally um, yeah so. and you can see that in the variety of clips we had today they all had good stakes good stories you know it, 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 that's true Julia from the producer oh yeah I mean it, it's um it takes time it takes um a lot of effort and a lot of money um to get out there but you have to You've got to get to um, the international marketplace and you've got to st start pressing the flesh and keep turning up as well. Um, I think that's important, is that, that you're seen as a face. Otherwise, they, uh, they think that you've gone away and that you don't exist anymore. Um, so, yeah, no, it's just they're absolutely key, uh, good relations. But, of course, you've got to deliver. You've got to actually deliver the, the, the programming at the end of the day. Thank you very much. I'd like to th everyone to thank you. Our panel, thank you for, for coming and spending uh, the time with us. Thanks, audience. Thanks for listening.